Hello, everyone. My name is Andre O'Shea. I'm a 3D artist helping to build the creator economy and much more. Right now, I'm on the edge of NFT. This is a podcast where creators are honored and featured. So uh, keep listening, but also head to Apple Music, leave us a review, give us five stars, because that really helps us out, get on uh, more people's radar. So shout out to y'all. Hey, NFT Curious listeners, stay tuned for today's episode to learn how our guest has made crypto winter warmer by giving out great hugs. Why we're asking AI to create a new word that combines curiosity, accountability, and determination. And what Jam City is up to with a dope new interactive free-to-own game. And don't forget, we put together a gathering called NFTLA just a few months back that brought out thousands of the world's most innovative doers in the NFT space. Head to nftla.live to get tickets to our bigger, bolder, better, but also just as intimate and impactful event happening in Los Angeles, March 20th to the 23rd, 2023. We'll see you there. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Andre O'Shea, a superstar digital creator known for 3D modeled animations exploring futuristic notions of spirituality and transcendence. He has worked with Vogue, Netflix, Snapchat, Adult Swim, the Grammys, and one of, among others, and was included in NFT Now's inaugural NFT 100. Some of his recent projects include Christie's Art and Tech Summit, Meta's new digital collectibles, and Time Pieces. Andre, welcome to Edge of NFT. It's great to have you here. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to have a moment to chat it up with a few friends and kind of catch everybody up on my world, I suppose. And by the way, guys, for those of you that are listening, Andre gives like the best hugs. <laughs> like, like we're in Miami at Trippy's event. I saw Andre and we caught up and yeah, man, that was a great hug. Thank you. I take pride in my hug giving ability. I think it's really important to embrace people and make them feel warm when they're with you. So I got to work hey. on my hugs, man. I never got a yeah, comment. Hey, during Josh. crypto... During crypto winter, everyone needs a good hug. And this is right. This is right. Well, it's great to have you here, man. And your work is so awesome. I would love to sort of learn more about your latest project with Instagram and what inspired you to create it. Yeah. So starting with Instagram, I've been pretty lucky to work with them on a few things in the past. We did an installation piece. What was it last May, I believe, for Instagram's Black Creator Day and They reached out to me with the opportunity to be one of the artists who helped launch their NFT platform. And I really sort of wanted to really embrace that opportunity. And I worked alongside one of my friends. Her name was Latasha. She's also a megastar in the NFT world, specifically music NFTs. She's Queen Zora. But we worked together on a collab. It sort of is foreshadowing some of the other work that we've done together, but that's coming out in 2023. It's sort of just like a teaser for that. And the reception just was really kind of mind blowing to me and really, really positive. That's great. I guess like when you're working on that type of collaboration, like what are the sort of goals that you had top of mind and how are you hoping to sort of impact the creator economy this upcoming year? Yeah, so the goals I have in mind when it comes to a collaboration, I would say they're different per collaboration, right? But for this one in particular, I'm working with somebody who is a close friend of mine. This isn't like a commission piece or something like that. So for me, the goal first and foremost is to have fun, right? And to enjoy the time with my friend, right? To collaborate on something that I think can allow both of us just to leave with some pretty good feelings about it. And the second layer of what I wanted to do with this opportunity and the goal I had in mind when it came to collaborating was trying to, one, work with a couple other people that I haven't worked with before, right? At least not publicly. 
So there are a couple other collaborators on the piece as well. Jamel Reynolds, he was a creative director because the shot that this piece is from is from a series of photo shoots, right? And the photographer on those photo shoots was Angel Darmella. So that was my other goal is to really, those are really close friends of mine as well. So it was really important for me to continue that spirit of collaboration and work with some more friends and really sort of bring this opportunity with Instagram and Meta to more people, right? Not just sort of holding it selfishly for myself. And with that in mind, that's sort of where I'm trying to shift and adjust and, and cater to the creator economy next year, right? Is I think that in particular, working with Instagram on this, this may be an unpopular opinion right now, but I, for one, think that the NFT community needs Instagram, right? And I don't think we need it because we need Instagram itself, so to speak, but there is a platform that is known for images or videos, right? That's what they're predominantly known for. And their install base is unfathomable. How many people have Instagram on their phone? I just feel like it's so important for widespread adoption. And I think that the process of buying a piece on Instagram is relatively simple in comparison to some other NFT projects that may have been popular last year or this year, because it's supposed to be for the mainstream user, right? It's supposed to be for somebody's mom who isn't Web3 native. And I think it's really important to partner up with them. And I think it's really cool to sort of set the standard, right? And sort of break new ground on this platform that I think is inevitably going to be huge. Yeah. Well, I have to say, I mean, unpopular. I don't know why you said it might be unpopular, but I definitely cringe when I think about Meta and Instagram, <laughs> just from, you know, just like living the life of the generation that I have and kind of seeing the power structure grow up around those systems. But I will say, though, Ethan, like for some reason, like Instagram, like from a sentiment analysis perspective, makes me feel differently than Meta. This it's is like, true. Like, well, that, like, that's what Meta wants out of you, Josh. No, just yeah. kidding. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, we're very open-minded here and we love collaborating and we've got our own Instagram account. And, all. and by the way, we learned on Twitter today, this will be broadcast in a week or something, that Elon is now not allowing us to share links to other platforms. I don't know if you heard about this, Josh. I did hear about this and I was telling some of my friends that's because we dropped the NFT on Instagram and he was mad. And it <laughs> oh, it's you. You're the one. Who, yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. I don't know how extreme he's going to be about it, but it's oh. definitely a pretty provocative policy change. Yeah. They should rename Twitter Draconian and I think it will <laughs> be a good name. Anyways, Andre, it is a privilege to have you here with such impactful work in the past. I'm curious, how did your experiences and learnings from the previous projects influence the creation of timepieces? What was the process there? Yeah, so the timepieces project is really cool because it's reimagining Deepak Chopra's first book cover, right? And I just remember my mom quoting Deepak, like just growing up, right? And for that reason, I really wanted to accept the project and thought it was significant and really cool. And I would just say that every new project is an amalgamation of your former projects, right? Like you're always taking a bit of experience or influence with you, right? But I will say that for my piece in particular, I was really focused on landscape work, which I think that a lot of people appreciate in, in my work is the world building that a lot of my pieces has. And I really wanted to really embrace what I knew, what I knew people really appreciated about my work because I felt like it lended well to the subject matter, right? And then the other thing I was really focused on, and it's really particular and strange and weird or whatever, but just fabric animation. I think like, I don't know, I do this like twice a year where I make a collection of fabric animations. They typically never come out for whatever reason. I actually did just launch one about a week ago with a group called Flow Carbon. but. I really think that that fabric animations are beautiful. If you've ever seen like a beautiful, well, no, it's not a beautiful mind, was it? It's American Beauty, where the kid, he's just recording the shopping bag in the alley and he's like, it's so beautiful. Like, hmm. I don't know. I sort of have that sort of vibe with fabric animation. So I really want to. What's the process to... for fabric animation? Like, the first thing that comes to mind is like a stop animation, but is it more kind of just recording a fabric? 
Can you explain no, so the process? I do there? it all digital. It's all on a computer. So I'll create something. It could be any shape, but we'll just say it's a plane, like any sheet would be, so to speak. It could be a square, right? Right. And then you break the square down into vertices, right? You tell it how many grids it should have. Like you turn to a grid system, right? And then at each point, right? If we can imagine a T at each point, it puts a particle there, right? And there's different simulation, simulation like plugins and stuff like that for like water, smoke, et cetera, right? Because most of those things are not hand animated. They're ran by simulations, right? If you can imagine a simulation of erosion or something like that, right? It works the same way where it's just like you put in different parameters, you get in different results. So with that being said, I can cloth is another simulation that I can do. And it gives properties, physical properties to each one of those little particles on each little vertices. And that's how it tells it how to move and how to sway. And one influences the other and pulls and pushes on other particles, so on and so forth. And then that's the long, complicated way of how to get a fabric animation. But yeah, yeah that helps. Yeah. And it also evokes this kind of when we talk about creators, right? It's like the word creator evokes like the creator. And I think it is fun in some sense to be working in these mediums where you can almost feel like you're creating the type of reality that you experienced as you experience the world, right? You're creating the cloth, you're creating the way that it's going to interact with its environment and things like that. I can imagine that could be sort of a fun place to be in. You might not think of it from that meta perspective to be to talk about something you mentioned earlier. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty cool that we can do that nowadays and have that sort of creator feeling in digital animation. Appreciate that. Yeah, well, and I think that's a real like plus and perk of 3D animation in particular too, right? Where I think that 2D art is really cool. Like I was originally a 2D artist myself. And this is not to say that I still don't do stuff in 2D sometimes, but when I found 3D art, it made me feel so limitless in what I could create because I could recreate things that I experienced in real life in real fathomable ways, right? So when you make things in 3D, like they have to adhere to certain laws, right? That just 2D art doesn't have to abide by. But that's kind of the cool thing about it too, is it allows you to recreate places, situations in completely unique ways that you can just break. You know what I mean? You can just take it and do something crazy with it. And I mean, that's why I appreciate 3D artwork. And that's sort of why this is my medium of choice, just due to, like you said, just like being able to actually input my own life experiences directly into the artwork. Right on. Yeah, that's really cool, man. So I know you mentioned earlier you like to flow like gravity or water. At the same time, I'm sure 2022 was bumpy. I mean, it was full of adventure, right? I'm curious, oh, like, say the least. <laughs> what were some of the challenges that popped up for you throughout the year? And how did that sort of shape you as an artist? So the number one challenge that comes to mind, and it could just be because I'm dealing with a little bit of this on my own business end, is just I would say 2021, I was heavily focused on the NFT space and releasing and minting like NFTs on my own. And in 2022, I shifted into doing a lot of partnered brand work, right? And I will just say that the money is a lot slower (laughs) doing the partnered brand work. You have to deal with net 30s, net 60s, and all of this type of stuff that in the traditional NFT world, your money is a little bit more instantaneous. And granted, like I'm earning the money, but you have to learning how to adjust to that budget was a difference for me for one. And then two, the challenge is also is just maintaining those relationships, right? Like that's a job in and of itself. That's difficult, but I loved it. I love working with visible brands, right? Because I think that it allows me the greatest opportunity to help others. With that being said, that was one challenge I had. The second challenge was I traveled this year far more than I ever traveled in my life, especially for work. And there were times where it would probably be a six month period and I'd be home for maybe 14 days total because I'm just traveling nonstop, go, go, go. 
And I think the important thing to know about like that type of lifestyle or to sort of like wrap your head around when going through something like this, right, is the emotional whiplash that you get when you actually go home, right? Because you're so used to sort of like living fast, living hour to hour, day to day, flight to flight, that when you get home, things slow down so much for you. And you kind of don't know how to respond or react like mentally and emotionally because you're so used to, okay, I got to go do this, 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 and this today. And I may not eat until 10, but that's fine. And whatever, you're just sort of bouncing around living this sort of chaotic life and you get home and you're like having to realize, okay, I need to be a little bit more accountable about like regulating my day here. Like I'm used to just being able to eat when I can eat. And now I have to tell myself, oh, if I don't eat by noon, like this is not trending in the right direction for my day. (laughs) Yeah. So that was the other big adjustment for me. Yeah, I can relate. I mean, there's a lot of travel, I think, that happened in our industry. I think everyone was really excited to meet each other in real life and to find ways to explore. But I can also imagine as an artist, like getting into a flow state when you get to Japan and there's some like really good ramen shop next door, but you have to knock out some art, right? It's like, (laughs) do you do it in your room? Do you go to the pool? Like, it's hard to get into a flow state when you're on the move. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So when you brought up being in Japan and you just sort of have like a go-to ramen spot, this is sort of like a challenge 2.5 is you sort of start to imagine yourself living in those places and you kind of build like this fantasy in your head about what it would be like if you were there all the time. But that's neither here nor there. But I just thought that was also. (laughs) Yeah. And And I wanted to pull on the collaboration thread a little and just relate from the perspective of the show and NFTLA, because we have literally hundreds of collaborators and we want to have deep relationships with all of them. But how do you do that? In a way, you as an artist, you have a little bit of an upper hand because there's only so many collaborators you can work with at one time on one project. You can only do so many projects, so you're constrained. In in a media role in this ecosystem, it's like unconstrained, like kid in a sandbox potential. Well, and I feel like the media in particular, people probably have this idea that you can just do it whenever it's best for them, right? Like, oh, wait, why can't you just post this tomorrow? This would be great. And you're kind of like, well, I have to be a good collaborator to these six other people that you don't know that I'm collaborating with. And that doesn't work for them either. So I'm sending you a little bit of love and empathy. That's because the I most that's empathy little... we've ever gotten on that particular yeah, yeah. topic. On I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not something that gets discussed, but it's a real challenge. Like we came back from Asia with 30 or 40 incredible pieces of content and everyone wanted their piece of content out first. And it was like, <laughs> there's this thing we have to do. It's called editing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Yeah. And it also costs to produce a podcast, which people don't like always understand. I, I imagine right? <laughs> people think once you get a mic and some headphones, you're good. Yeah. But yeah. seeing your guys' checklist, for one, I've always thought about starting a podcast. And I think I know myself well enough to know that I couldn't do it alone. I would need to partner up with somebody who has a mind to put together the types of like documents that you put together for me. And Listen, it's a lot of love and respect on my end for what you're doing, because I know I couldn't do it. It's very challenging and I'm not sure where I'm going next, but keep going there, man. That feels good. (laughs) But yeah, I want to bring a quote here that it just happened to kind of remember and come across recently Mm -hmm. and to help bring us back to the topic of 3D animation. It's just a fun little anecdote. So somebody was saying to Picasso that he ought to make pictures of things the way they are, objective pictures. He mumbled he wasn't quite sure what that would be. That's what Picasso said. He wasn't quite sure. Well, I don't see what that would be. And the person who was bullying him produced a photograph of his wife from his wallet. And he said, there, you see, that is a picture of how she really is. And then Picasso looked at it and said, she is rather small, isn't she? And flat. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's pretty good. That's not where I thought that was going. That was a good response from him. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's a great point when anybody has these criticisms of any form of art or any form of representation or whatever, right? Like we're all just like making the best representation or a specific representation of something. But you do have at least the three dimensions, right? And it's constantly <laughs> evolving. It's always interesting to see how different artists approach their work. I could see somebody saying, yes, I guess your wife always lives in these 3D goggles or whatever, right? It's kind of fun. <laughs> but yeah, how do you think about the field as it changes and how it is since you're first working in, you started working in it, you know, trends you've seen and things like this? 3D in particular, strangely enough, I don't feel like a lot of trends have changed since I got into 3D. I've been in a 3D artist for maybe seven or eight years now. And I think that the popular style back then is very much still the popular style now, if it's just not evolved a little bit, futuristic, humanoid, space vibes, otherworldly planet things. And sure. I don't think that that should necessarily change. I think that it's actually like a real plus for what 3D art can produce. I think that it's a little bit easier to make those sort of scenes than a lot of other art. And I think that's okay. I think that's fine that that's part of its identity, just like part of the identity of painting or Renaissance paintings. You know what I mean? Like, it's not the end all be all of it, but it is what a lot of people recognize is 3D art, right? So I think that it sort of is good to introduce a lot of people to 3D art and sort of like break the glass ceiling, so to speak. But I think there's also a lot going on in 3D art. I would say the things that are changing the most are like the accessibility of high-end like software right and the tools have evolved incredibly right and lowering the learning curve that's been a big thing as well in 3d art in particular but you brought up art that a lot of people criticize and i do think that right now just in our artistic industry we're dealing with a highly criticized art form and I wanted to just float it to see what each of you thought about it. But the topic of AI art, where are you on that? Are you okay, for it or I, against I, it? I, okay, okay. So I was just going to bring it up, but you beat me to the punch. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, like but, a, I'm always down to talk about AI art. No, no. So what I was going to bring up, actually, Andre, is I moderated a panel in, at Art Basel with a company in the Sandbox Accelerator, and I can pull up the name, but they actually have created AI for 3D animation, where in about five minutes or less, you can have a full sort of AI version of 3D architecture based on existing 2D or 3D information. So that to me was like, oh, that's innovative, right? And I'm yeah. happy to give you the information if you want to like see more about what they're doing but but this was part of the sandbox program to sort of accelerate world development and to me that makes sense because what your craft is very time consuming <laughs> right oh to say the least <laughs> so i would say to answer your question and not to bias your feedback on this because i was going to ask you the question you're like flipping the script on us over here <laughs> but i would say like if artists can use it to enhance and amplify their work and it allows more creation in the metaverse, which is sort of a daunting task for a lot of people. Oh, it sounds great to create a metaverse world, but then like there's a lot of work in there. I think that's a good use of AI. And I think that similar to any tool that exists, they can be used for good or evil. And it's a fascinating topic. It's here. It's so to, I think we have to embrace it like one of your hugs and figure out what to do with it. <laughs> mm -hmm. What I mean, are your thoughts? Oh, go ahead, Ethan. Yeah, I'll share my thoughts before Andres. So I've been enjoying the Broken Record podcast a lot recently. So this is a podcast that's co-hosted by Rick Rubin, Malcolm Gladwell, and a couple oh, other wow. folks. Yeah, it's what? really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> what a, what yeah. a collab right there. Totally. And actually, one of the guys that co-hosts the podcast, Bruce Headlam, I found out happens to be one of our piano tuning clients in New York City, just like, hmm. oh, well, he's on the customer list. That's funny. But anyways, it's... Wait, you tune pianos? Like, oh, sorry. Is that is not... Yeah, that's just a weird <laughs> aside. Yeah. Anyways, the thing that I always really appreciate about Rick Rubin being this like superstar producer, and I think I've said this before on the podcast, but it's worth saying again, 
he highlights like that he thinks the best music just comes from people doing what comes from them. Like, okay, don't say like, how do I make a hit? Or what do people want to hear from me? Quintessential story is like Anthony Kiedis had this song or had this poem that he wrote in a book that happened to be under the bridge, right? That became like a really big hit for them. And he was showing it to Rick Rubin and Rick said, oh, that's nice. You should make a sign. He said, no, that's not something to record, right? Like, this is just for me. This is just my poem, right? So all that to say, I think that he started out in hip hop where people were taking records and scratching them and repeating things and making music out of that. And I think that it's like, it's so funny because it's like, yes, the AI is being creative, but it's never going to be human creative because it's AI creative. And so what humans are going to do, just like you're doing, Andre, yeah, you can create, like you can push a button and create a little city probably, right? There's probably some little plugin you can find in the 3D software, but that's not your city, right? And then you have to sit there and you say, what comes from Andre's past, his context, all the things that he's dealt with, his communities, or not, or he just wants to make something beautiful. What comes from that person and goes into that thing that makes it beautiful? So, I mean, I think we will learn more about what makes us human by doing things with AI. That's what I think. Yeah, that's pretty poignant right there. I like that. I do think that it sort of will highlight more of our human aspects, especially as creators, right? Where I guess we've never had to examine that, right? Because we've only ever really dealt with human creation outside of like viral videos of elephants painting or something like that. You know what I mean? But but also I like do- art is like, by its nature, both performative and non-performative, meaning like there's that, oh, the AI made it just as good as that guy can make it. So AI is just as good. And it's like, but people don't make art to make it for other, you know, some of the best art is not made to impress other people, put it that way. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think the other important thing too, right, is to realize and focus the parameter of what is good art is not how technically sound is it, right? It's how emotionally resonant is it, right? And I think that one, I think that the difference between human art and AI art is the weird combination of emotional nuances that humans have, right? Where I can both be happy and sad at the same time, and that is its own emotion. Where I don't know if AI can understand that type of stuff yet. I will say it is like something that I'm really fascinated with AI is to give it really intangible prompts like, indecisive you know what i mean like i'll just throw that word in there to see what it does and see what it changes just because there's not a tangible viewing of what that is and i actually think this is really interesting too because i've never like thought this yet but i think that there's some really interesting like ways to re-examine human language just by talking to and prompting ai so there's a movie called waking life have either of you seen waking life Right. Yeah, so, that's one of my favorites. No, I get another yeah. another guest. I forget who mentioned it as a favorite movie. That's right. It's been on my list. Now I'm going to move it up to the top. I actually think you'd really enjoy it. It's a bunch of short theoretical conversations in like a really funky animation style. It's made by the same people who made Scanner Darkly, if you've ever seen that. But there's this really interesting conversation. I don't remember who it was with at this point any longer, but. It was talking about human language, right? And back in the early days of humanity, we had ways to describe things, right? There are tangible things and intangible things in our world that at that point in time, we didn't have the language for yet, right? So if there was a tiger right there behind you or whatever, like you could say that there's a tiger because that was tangible, right? If there's water down the path, you could tangibly say that there's water. But if there's something like, fear, for instance, or like joy or something like that. These people didn't have the terminology to describe those things yet. So I think it's really interesting because I feel like we almost have to relearn how to describe parts of our language that we've sort of just taken for granted that people understand, right? And there's a whole list of things that we just feel like we understand because everybody else, quote unquote, understands it too. But that looks different for everybody else. Like the idea of fear or joy looks different for everybody else, right? So I just think that it's really interesting, the self-examination that AI forces us to do as well. That was a little mini tangent rant. No, <laughs> it, 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 it's, look, I mean, we're going to be talking about AI a lot, 
right? I mean, it's here. People are saying it's it's the trend of 2023 already. By the way, Andre, you check out pzm-9.com. This is the crew that's doing real-time AI-based 3D animation. Really cool crew led by Jonathan. And yeah. PMZ. PZM-9.com. Yeah. Dash nine dot com. Yeah, check them out. But let's talk a little bit more about community and collaboration in sort of positivity. Besides like giving people awesome hugs, how do you try to embody those values in your work and sort of your presence in this space, especially in a time where there are some divides, like there's criticisms out there of the fact that NFTs is for only the top artists and not everyone's going to make it. And there's criticisms that this industry works for big brands, but but not the independents and the indies. And sort of, I'm just curious how you look at things and try to like bring people together when in fact, there are a lot of different perspectives on where this is all going. Yeah, well, to start, I kind of want to push back on the idea that this space is only benefiting big brands or the top percent of artists. And by the way, that's like, not my opinion. No, I, I don't think that that's what you believe either. But it's just what I, I do I know hear, that some people I, I, do. I hear that a lot. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think it's easy for people to come to that assumption. And I think it's easy for some people to come to that conclusion, especially if they're like one foot in the door and one foot out the other. But I just feel like I've seen NFTs dramatically change the life of so many artists that I just couldn't think that, right? Like, I have a friend, I guess I'll shout him out, I'll drop his name. His name is Vintage Mozart, right? He is an African artist from Zimbabwe. And if you're familiar with Zimbabwe, you know that there's a lot of unrest happening right now. And through NFTs, it took him about a year, but he saved up enough money to move out of Zimbabwe and could have moved his family out of Zimbabwe as well. But I don't know if they wanted to leave. But like I said, those things are incredibly significant for people, right? Those are incredibly life-changing moments. And I think that it's a little bit like short-sighted to only sort of view NFTs from the American lens, because I think that there are a lot of other countries and a lot of other people where this type of change was probably a bit more necessary in terms of their economy and their creator economy. Like, for instance, I think that there are tons of art in the Caribbean and Africa and Asia that, again, we don't need to talk about how technically sound. That's not the parameter or whatever. But there are incredibly talented and incredibly technically sound artists all over the world who, just because they don't live in America, are probably making 10% of what they would in America, right? So. For that reason alone, I love that NFTs can sort of level the field for those artists. But then also, I have seen a lot of big brands not be successful in this space, too. So that's also where I want to push back on it, because I do think that the community behind the space is strong and our morals and sort of like a collective, I don't know, rule sheet, so to speak. And I've watched a lot of companies sort of get into these things and sort of fizzle out and fail. I've even been a part of those things before. So for one, I want to push back on people who do think that. And then what I do personally in this space to sort of like continually push forward myself and try to help inspire others, right, is I just try to remain authentic and accountable to who I am in this space, right? And I try to meet everybody with like love. And I try to meet everybody with like, I don't know, a positive vibe, honestly, just straight up. Like if you ever see me like on a panel or something like that, the go-to question is people always love to ask, well, what advice would you give someone who's just getting to NFTs? Well, my third piece of advice I always give to people is don't be an asshole. Like just straight up, like you want people to feel good when they're interacting with you, when they're interfacing with you. And the reason why I say this is because I think that probably like 90, that might be dramatic, but 90% of decisions made about your life are in rooms that you're not in. And you want to make sure that your character is strong enough to represent you well in those rooms when those decisions are happening. And this is the example that I always give people about that is 
I never said, I never reached out to the Recording Academy and said, hey guys, have you heard of NFTs? I really want to make an NFT for the Grammys, right? That was a conversation that I wasn't even privy to and my name got brought up in a room and people said, yeah, we like that guy. Let's hire that guy. And that happens to me in a lot of my opportunities that I get is people bring me up in a room that I'm not in and people say, yeah, we would love if he helped us with this project. We would love to partner with Andre on this X, Y, Z, right? It's like Dale Carnegie, like win friends and influence people. Just be a good person. Be a good human. (laughs) That's the cheat code, right? That's the hack is to be a good person. But it's the truth. It's the honest truth where you just want to be a good person. You want to be somebody that people enjoy being around. And I want to be like, it's not that hard, but I know it is a lot of work sometimes, like taking in people's feelings to account and all that type of stuff. It is difficult. Yeah. And it's always evolving. Right. And of course, even in your case, right, the more people are talking about, hey, let's get Andre involved in another room. And there are five people who now ask you to get involved. Then you got to go, I don't know if I can do all five of these things. You know, <laughs> my you issue know? is I still try to make it work. I yeah, say yes yeah. too much. Exactly. This actually it's actually on my resolutions for 2023 <laughs> to get better at saying no. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of the coming days here, give us a little preview of your road. We want to move on to the next segment, our quick hitters, but okay. give us a little view of your roadmap moving forward. I know you have a Genesis drop coming up with Super Rare. Anything else? Yeah. So right now I'm planning on getting my Super Rare Genesis out before the end of the year. That's the hope right now. I don't see what would stop that, but I'm one of those people that tends to overthink things in the 25th hour. So we'll see what happens, but that's, I guess, my next one of one project. Time pieces, I believe that drop is happening early to mid January. It's my fault that I don't know. I think that they've told me, but I just had the drop with Instagram. So I was a little mentally preoccupied. And then I really like the drop with Instagram. I really like the idea of collaborating on more drops on Instagram. So I'm working on maybe like trying to find more collaborators and making that more of consistent staple of mine, like dropping collaborative pieces on Instagram. I think that that's really beneficial for everybody involved for Instagram, helping to onboard people onto their platform, helping give more people the opportunity to collab on Instagram and utilizing their market share. And those are sort of like, I know that they're not very specific and I'm not given any dates or anything like that, but those are the things I'm sort of like looking forward to 2023. And also this is my other resolution for 2023 is just to be a bit more fluid with my work and post a little bit more often. I think that in 2022, because I was working on so many brand partnerships, I would have specific dates to post on and Sometimes that would sway if I release some of my own personal work because I'm trying to promote something else or this, that, and the third. So being a bit more fluid also. So I feel like I can tell people just to expect a lot more, just work on their timeline from me, even if it's not minted. That's great. And collabs are awesome. It's always great to feed off other, other human beings and find those people that you work well with. You have questions about blockchain? Like how big of a block can you chain without throwing out your back? Or if you received that chain letter, how did you block it? And does blockchain taste better, barbecued or deep fried? (laughs) Luckily, you don't have to ponder these quandaries alone anymore because Blockchain Training Alliance is here to answer them and also train you in real world blockchain issues that will impact your business's bottom line and oriented future forward along the ley lines of the most important tech humanity has perfected since harnessing atomic energy. If you're into those sorts of things, Blockchain Training Alliance is a top leader in the field, counting among its clients IBM, Microsoft, Disney, Morgan Stanley, and many more, and offering a wide array of technical and non-technical courses. Whether you're a computer neophyte training for an incredible career in this new space, or a coding expert honing your skills, Blockchain Training Alliance will help you steer your ship home safely, filled with treasure. (laughs) Arg. So hurry and sign up for the Blockchain Training Alliance course that best fits your needs at blockchaintraininalliance.com. Use discount code EDGEOF for 50% off and start your next block today. All right, let's move on to quick hitters. This one's going to be fun. It's a quick way to get to know you a little bit better. 10 quick questions. Looking for I'll short. I'll try to answer them quickly instead of <laughs> going on <laughs> tangents. Yeah, we'll only expand if we really get the urge. We'll try to keep it brief. Well, first of all, I have to ask, are you ready? 
I am. I'm ready. He's ready. Okay, he's ready. <laughs> All right. What is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life, Andre? Oh, <laughs> the first thing I ever remember purchasing. Well, I remember the first NFT I purchased. The first thing, realistically, I probably ever purchased was probably like a Lego set or something like that. But I do remember specifically getting really into buying CDs, right? I come from an era where CDs were a thing, okay? Like, I remember CD changers in cars. Like, I had Walkmans growing up. So I remember buying a lot of albums growing up. And then I don't know if this is really the first thing I bought, but it was the first thing that I sort of remember having, like, the autonomy to say, no, I want that, was Mega Man 8 on the PlayStation. I love that game so much. Shout out to Mega Man. All right, cool. What is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? So to be fair, they didn't really sell well, but I remember we had like this marketplace in fourth grade. Everybody had to turn their, it was like for like two weeks and it was like to learn how societies work or something like that. I went to like a really artsy school. So we did a lot of cool projects like this where literally everybody had to turn their desk into a storefront and everybody had to have a product that they sold. Now, to be fair, I don't really remember what I sold, but I remember that the two hits were stress balls and pet rocks. And I didn't sell those, but I probably sold mine on the secondary market, if you get what I'm saying. So um, that's the first thing I remember selling. What school? Let's give a shout out to your school. Yeah, the middle school I went to is called Fair School, Fine Arts Interdisciplinary Research School in minnesota it's an art school and it was great i loved it there cool yeah it's so interesting when you think about like your background and how that's led to where your journey has gone and also like how the web3 industry has caught up to some of that creativity that was being indoctrinated into the students back then yeah well and i feel very fortunate now (laughs) right to have the background that i did well and i always have but i feel like it especially lends well to me now Right on. Andre, what was the most recent thing you purchased? The most recent thing I purchased? Well, I literally bought this bottle of water before this interview. The other thing, I've recently been purchasing Christmas presents, so I don't know if that counts. Sure. Okay, well, I've been shopping for my family, so that's what I've been buying. This We realized this is an easy time of year to answer the what are you buying question. (laughs) Yeah. I took a book out of Tim Ferriss's world and I got a lot of my family this high-end tea called Peak, P-I-Q-U-E. And it's like this dissolvable, really, really granulated, intense tea. It's great stuff. So Okay. So will you spell that one more time? Yeah. P-I-Q-U-E. And um peak tea. It's just like, you know, when you don't know what to buy people, everyone can use really good tea, right? Yeah. Well, my mom is one of those people who has everything and doesn't really want you to get her anything. But I've been thinking about getting her a Keurig just because she loves her tea, right? And granted, I know that Keurigs are normally known for coffee, whatever, but you can just make tea with them as well. So I might actually pick some of this up. It looks like you just pour it into the hot water as is. Yeah, yeah. It's super easy, really good stuff. What is the most recent thing you sold? The most recent thing I sold, NFTs on Instagram. <laughs> Boom, there yeah. it is. Makes sense. All right. What is your most prized possession? My computer. No, I don't know. Some, probably my computer. I love my truck too. My truck, I call it, well, I'm not, I call it the dragon. That's not its name, but it just is a dragon. And probably my house. I bought my house as well. So I, I love all of those things. They're very yeah. integral. to to my human experience. Glad you got some good ones. All right. If you could buy anything, this is question number six, by the way, if you could buy anything in the world, digital physical service experience that is currently for sale, what would it be? Beachfront property in LA. All right. Nice. I don't know if that's what I would really buy, but I would really buy it if it ever came up. Nice. Yeah, man. Let's be neighbors. Let's hang. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? Curiosity. It's either that or like determination or accountability, but it's really whatever trait is the combination of all three of those things, because I feel like that's what served me the best in like 
my own pursuits to running my own business or being my own business or whatever the terminology is. If there isn't a word for that in the English language, there should be. And maybe you can figure it out. If you yeah, could I'll, eliminate. And the question is, can AI figure it out? Yeah. <laughs> let's um, let's pro- hop on. What is it? Chat GPT or whatever? Let's, let's figure it out. If you could eliminate one of your personality traits in the next generation, what would it be? It would probably be, I know the word for it, but I'm blanking out on it. Oh, complacency. I get really comfortable sometimes. And sometimes I wish that I was always pedal to the metal. Right on. All right. Fair enough. All right. Question number nine. We're almost finished here. An easy one. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast? So I woke up. I had a chat with my manager about talking points today, things that she wanted to remind me to talk about. Then I ran to the store to pick up a little bit of breakfast and this water, and I fed my cat. (laughs) And here we are. Nice. Yeah, I got to get that cat fed. Right. I'm actually really surprised she didn't jump on my lap. She normally does whenever I'm on calls. They always do. Yeah. Uh All right. The next question and last question, number 10, is what are you going to do next after the podcast? After the podcast, I am going to hop in the truck and drive to Columbus, Ohio. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, glad we could be part of your day on the front end, not after you drive to Columbus, Ohio, because that wouldn't be as interesting a conversation. There's not a lot (laughs) on that trip. (laughs) So what did you just do? Well, I sat in the car for eight hours. (laughs) Hey there, NFT space cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com, it's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle, to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls, comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe. It's called Edge of AE Studio. And you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right. This full service, soup to nuts, end to end, whole enchilada NFT service can help you. Yes, you, Randy. Launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. That concludes our quick hitter segment. Next, we're going to move on to hot topics and bring on a special guest here. Robert, if you are ready to roll, why don't you get on your camera and get up here with us? Hey. What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up, man? How are you, Josh? We did it. We're here. We finally did it. Yeah, yeah. Good to see you, brother. It's a pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. And yeah, it's been fun going back and forth with you, man, seeing you out in the wild. Yeah, same. For those that don't know, Jam City is a legendary gaming studio based in LA. And uh, Squiddy joined the crew and he's out and about. He's doing his thing as community manager, making sure that everyone in LA knows what's up. And then of course, we've run into each other at all the different events around the country as well. Good to see you. Likewise, man. And we bailed on LA, on Miami living here. (laughs) Well, let's do a proper intro. Robert Fink, aka Squiddy, is the community manager maestro for Champions Ascension, a Web3 universe living as part of Jam City. 
Champions Ascension is a growing and transformative Web3 universe that redefines entertainment, games, storytelling, and real-world experiences through Jam City's revolutionary blockchain technology. And Jam City is an award-winning mobile entertainment company, providing unique and deeply engaging games that appeal to a broad global audience. Squiddy, welcome, and look forward to covering a few things with you. Yeah, look forward to uh, sharing what we're doing with Champions Ascension because it's, it's the best video game out there in the space. I humbly say with absolute no bias at all whatsoever. Of, of course. And the problem is Andre is a video game player. So now you, you just gave him a new distraction from all his ambitious goals he laid out for 2023. Wonderful. You did. <laughs> well, he's going to find a way. He's going to be like, holy smokes. Look what these guys are doing with champions. We got to figure out how to wait. You know, it's going to be some good stuff. It's going to be beautiful things all around. Hey, collabs happen on the show all the time. We'll see what happens here. But let's get into your upcoming drop. So second highest eternal, which will be free sometime in January. Give us some backstory here. Yeah, really, really excited for our upcoming drop. It's going to be in January. These are the second highest tier of champions. These are eternals. These are going to be the elemental eternals. They're introducing four separate houses. For anyone who's not familiar, we've got our Prime Eternals. You can find them on, on OpenSea or any other secondary market. Those are our Genesis collection. There are 7,622 of them. It's an awesome collection, amazing art. You've got your House of Life, your House of Death, and your House of Arcane. Those are the three families. They have divine parts, and they are at the top of the ecosystem for champions. I think they're hovering around like a 0.6 floor. And it's, again, that's a big barrier of entry to get into a game and to be able to test out a game. So bring on the elemental eternals with market conditions and everything that's going on and us believing in the free to own mentality. We're doing this drop for free and we're really focusing on getting this game out to the hands of gamers and to the hands of real people who are going to come on in, have a good time, contribute, right? And all kind of like grow together, right? We want to really specialize. So finding that proper balance between uh, getting into the hands of gamers and rewarding our community members, plus bringing in new people and generating additional interest in, and just the marketing for the game champion. So we really put our heads down, post our mint. And now as we get ready to reemerge, we're under a fantastic trajectory and really excited to, for the upcoming mint, to get more players to have actual ownership of these Eternals. So right now, if you don't own a Prime Eternal, you can come into the games. So that's going to lead to the next thing you're going to come to. But yeah, that's it for the drop. So this is like a, you're calling it a pre-alpha. Players yes. are testing the game, earning tickets. They can use those to mint loot boxes, which have their own collection on the secondary market. What's the difference between like a pre-alpha and a beta? Is there anything specific or is it just a nomenclature? Yeah. So it's the progression in when it comes to developing the video game. So for the pre-alpha, right? Beta, when it comes to a beta, there's going to be a lot more functionality than a pre-alpha. So for example, right now in the beta, don't quote me on this, I'm not 100% sure, but in the beta, I would guess that you'd be able to come in and fight with your actual Prime Eternal. So right now in the pre-alpha, you can come in with your Prime Eternal, it's fully rendered, it's your character walking around the worlds. But when it comes to testing out the game, like testing out the combat features and being a pre-alpha tester, right? This is the first time the devs are introducing certain fighting moves, right? So these are the first times like, okay, we need players to come on in, people to check it out. What's broken? What's not, right? So we have a loading screen, like this things will and should break right now, right? So it's, we've got a really hardcore dedication of gamers who are experiencing what it's like to be a, a lot of times for these big games, you'll see a uh, registration to test out the beta, right? The closed beta is what you hear. So again, it's like, we're pretty confident with our product right now. We're going to test it out. It's really the first time getting it to the public. When it comes to pre-alpha, all this work is usually done behind closed doors. We're doing all this work out in the open with our community. That's cool. Yeah, I can kind of like imagine you're in the dojo. You've got your weapon. You're moving around. You're kind of getting a feel for your environment, getting ready to get into action later. And there's this like really cool lore behind Explorer Messina and a current quest live where the community is building out one for one for the upcoming collection. Can you talk to us a little bit more about the lore here? Absolutely. So the lore is one of the most things that really keeps the people. We've got about two complete seasons of, of our lore. It's almost like the, it's like an encyclopedia. Our VP of narrative, Ryan Kaufman, he's an amazing creative. He was a writer on games, on shows such as Game of Thrones and really being able to like try some things and continue to build, like call it a pre-alpha of figuring out how we can continue to blend 
the community and the development of the game, right? If players who are involved right now, they follow the quest, they help shape the lore and the experience of this game. So when this game's played by millions of people, the people that were here right now building this app, like, oh, look, you tell their son, listen, like, you see that wall over there? Like, I created that. Like, I had a reason for this thing being in this game that you're now playing right now, right? So there's something, little cool things like that. It's just really deep and rich. And I highly recommend you check out Champions Voices to read more about it, a link to the site. You can go to Champions.io and really get like all of our, see all of our lore in one place. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but it's got like a Game of Thrones fantasy. It's just, it's, it's really cool, right? And everything revolves around combat. So everyone's identity in this world, in the scene, revolves around their success in combat. So cool. Well, I think that covers most of what we wanted to check in about it. It's really exciting. We want to make sure people head on over to your Discord for additional opportunities for whitelists and learn more about the projects. How do people get access to the Discord? Yeah, so we've got an invite link. It's I believe you can find it on our Twitter. It's Discord invite.discord.gg slash champion ascension. I think we sent that over to you there. And yeah, it's sorry, I've got it. I don't know if you're, you'll send it over to some final words or if that, was, if that was a chance to let it rock, but... Yeah, yeah. No, people can download the game, champions.io slash download and enter the code 5YK4W. And we'll share that on social and everything with people as well. And personally, I've got next week off. I'm excited to check out what you're doing yeah, and, go, and play some games. That's one thing I enjoy doing. I haven't had too much time this year to check out. So I'm excited about that. Make sure yeah. you have your voice chat on, right? Because it's a social experience, right? Our CEO, Crystal Wolf, he was the co-founder of MySpace, right? So really combining the social and the gaming aspect. So we've got four mini games to play without testing combat, right? So you want to hop into a voice and play some dice or play some cards or stuff. You're able to do that. And, you know, you can talk alpha, right? You can talk about Hey, yo, I just listened to this amazing Edge of NFT podcast, right? Like, holy smokes, that was so cool. Being able to kind of like have that social experience in the game. So when you check it out, Josh, you'll be an urchin if you don't have a Prime Eternal. I'm not sure if you've been Prime or not. But so again, like you kind of like differentiate the Primes versus the urchins and they accumulate tickets at a fraction of the rate of the Primes. All right, Andre, sounds like we have to turn into Primes and play some video games together before the resolutions kick in next year. Yeah, so I'm actually, I've been touring around the site, and right now I'm on the open sea. There's some really cool characters here. I'm looking at one in particular. It's like a wolf Defender. with deer horns and like these like dragon butterfly, dragonfly wings. Whoever this is, is dope as hell. So. Is it a Fenrir? It sounds like a Fenrir of the family. It just says it could be a Fenrir. It says champion 2381. Let's see. Let me look at its properties. And there's like, it's pretty cool, man. Yeah, yeah. It's a part of the Fenrir family. That's one of my favorites. Very cool. Well, we're also going to do a giveaway with you guys, but people can keep a lookout on our socials for the details on that. And you guys have been very generous about that. So, and I think we'll have a lot of fun. So, absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks, Squiddy. Have a great holiday. Talk to you soon, man. Take it easy. Great to meet you. Edge of NFT, baby. Heard it here first. Right. Holy smokes. And holy moly, we like to say. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs> See you later. Before we do a closing here, Andre, we do have a segment we've just added and having a lot of fun with the shout out. Now you gave a shout out earlier, so I think this would be a good a reduplication. It's a nice yeah. place to share about folks people might want to learn about. You mentioned vintage Mozart. I think that's a cool shout out. If there's anybody else you want to give a little bit of love to, that could be cool. Yeah, so I guess I got a few. Shout out again one more time to vintage Mozart good friend of mine. I won't say his real name on online because he hates that apparently. A shout out to Latasha, a great friend of mine. Also just an amazing artist in the space. My other collaborators, John Mel Reynolds and Angel, just for being awesome friends of mine, just rolling with the punches of whatever I asked them to do. A shout out to Aniko. She's great. She helps keep my life together. And she brought us together. So that's pretty awesome. And isn't there a backstory there? Did you guys meet at NFTLA or was that someone else you met at NFTLA? So that's where NFTLA is where we started our management conversations. But we had met at the Art Basel previous to that, right? So this Art Basel was like our one year working relationship anniversary together, sort of something like that. 
because Aniko is actually the person who mentioned my name in those rooms, those Grammy rooms, right? So we've just been working together for about, a, I don't know, a year or so now. And then also, I just want to shout out the team at Meta who's been really helpful with me for me because there's just testing out new platforms is very difficult and there's a lot of troubleshooting and I appreciate all the help and work that they've put in for me. And just also just, I guess this is my last final shout out. It's sort of like a dual shout out, but went to Keith, Keith Grossman, former president of Time, just really awesome friend, really helpful, but also a shout out to Maya, who is taking over his role. She's really great too. So maybe just a shout out to the Time family, because there's a few other people over at Time who I also really appreciate working with. So I believe awesome. those are all of my shout outs. Awesome. Those were a lot of shout outs. Yeah. But there may Speaking be of the Grammys. <laughs> No, that was really cool. And it's always great to like hear who are in people's circle and so other people, so our listeners can check them out and know where to send some of the appreciation. So before we roll out officially, let's make sure people know where they can learn more about you and the projects you're working on, websites, social links, stuff like that. Yeah, best place to learn about me, find out what I'm doing is just to follow me on Twitter at Andre O'Shea or to follow me on Instagram also at Andre O'Shea. But this one has a underscore because somebody doesn't want to let me get my name. So (laughs) (laughs) they haven't even used the page in like two years, but whatever. Oh man, we get people that use our name and then like DM us all the time. Hey, I have your name if you want to buy it from me. Come on, guys. (laughs) that sucks you should just give it to me but hey yeah okay awesome well thanks a lot that's going to be a wrap for our show we have reached the outer limit at the edge of nfts for today thanks everyone for exploring with us we've got space for more adventures on this starship for the listeners there make sure you guys invite your friends recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey also much better how you can go to Spotify or iTunes right now rate us and say something awesome go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole Look us up on all major social platforms by typing edge of NFT with no spaces and start a fun conversation with us online. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.